We do welcome each one to the house of God this evening. It's good to see you here. It's a wet and damp night, uh, but we're glad you're here and in the warmth and dry as we come together to meet with the Lord. And we're going to commence by turning in our hymnals, the hymn number 46. The hymn 46, O worship the King, all glorious above, O gratefully sing his power and his love. The hymn 46 will stand as we commence our worship of the Lord this evening. going to uh, turn in the scriptures tonight to Romans chapter 6. 
the epistle of Paul to the church at Rome, and chapter 6 of that epistle, reading verse 20, and down to the end of the chapter at verse 23. Romans chapter 6, and commencing to read at verse 20, and the word of God says, For when ye were the servants of sin, ye were free from righteousness. What fruit had ye then in those things whereof ye are now ashamed? For the end of those things is death. But now, being made free from sin, and become servants to God, ye have your fruit unto holiness, and the end everlasting life. For the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. Amen. And may the Lord bless the reading tonight of his word that reminds us of the gospel, the life-changing power of the gospel of Christ. It reminds us as well of how our lives are changed when we are saved, how we leave behind those things, those sins in which we are now ashamed, and we live unto holiness. Ye have your fruit unto holiness. And may we, as the people of God, have our fruit unto holiness. And may we all know uh, what it is uh, to experience that gift of God, that is eternal life through our Lord Jesus Christ. Let us unite together in prayer and let us seek the Lord. Eternal God and Father in heaven, we do thank thee tonight that we can enter into thy presence. We thank thee that we can sing thy praises. We can remind ourselves of who thou art, uh, the one who is the great king, the one in whom we come to worship this evening. And we thank thee, O God, that uh, we can sing our praises to thee, that we can rejoice in who thou art. And we thank thee most of all uh, for the gift of God, uh, that is eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. And Father, we rejoice this evening uh, that we have a gospel to preach, a gospel to sing about, a gospel to read about, a gospel that is offered to those who are in the depths of their sin. And we pray this evening that as we turn afresh to thy word, and as we look again at what the Savior taught Nicodemus, that thou would be pleased to write upon each heart the importance of these things and the absolute necessity of being regenerated by the Spirit of God, of having that new birth and that new life from thee. And tonight, Father, we pray for those who have gathered in for the preaching of thy truth. As we worship thee this evening, we pray that thou would meet with us. We pray, O God, that thou would be pleased to write thy word upon our hearts, to teach us, to instruct us. Father, we remember those who are outside of the kingdom of God. And speak to their hearts this evening. And draw them to the Savior. And may they see that uh, there is a great sentence, a great judgment that has been passed over them by thee. Unless they turn from their sin, and they will face thy wrath for all eternity. But Father, we rejoice there is a way of peace, a way of salvation, the way of righteousness, a path wherein there is life everlasting. And tonight, as we turn afresh to thy word, O God, write that upon each heart, and that there is a way of salvation. And we pray that thou would draw sinners 
unto thyself for the glory of thy name. Father, we remember this congregation. We do remember afresh those who are in need, those who need thy help and thy touch. Father, we pray that thou would be with us all and give us all that desire to serve thee. And give us that comfort, that peace that we need as we travel through the hardships of life. Our Father, we do remember our denomination and our sister congregations here in North America. We think tonight, especially, O oh God, of the work in Mexico. We pray that thou would bless that work and that thou would continue to undertake for uh, thy servants who labor there. Uh, we think, Father, of the Reverend Boyle, a member, Father, our brother, the Reverend Pena as well. And as these brethren labor for thee and uh, with others as well, we pray that thou would continue to build thy church, that the gates of hell would not prevail against it. Shine a gospel light in that land, we pray. And, O oh God, we pray the same for our land here in Canada, that uh, the gospel light that there is, we're thankful for it. But we pray that thou would shine that light more and more by thy grace, and that men would flee from sin and turn unto Christ. We pray, Father, that thou would move in this area, bringing souls to that saving knowledge of the Lord Jesus Christ. Father, we pray for our churches that we would know a revival power, and we would know thy spirit with us as the word of God is preached and proclaimed. Remember the works of God here, Father, in Western Canada, our sister congregations, and we pray that thou would bless thy servants as thy truth is preached and presented afresh. Give us, as thy people, a love for preaching, a love for the word of God being taught to us, that we would be instructed by it, that we would have that desire, O oh God, to hear the preaching of thy word, to have that attitude and uh, where we love the word of God being taught to us. We believe in the primacy of preaching and in the importance of declaring thy word. And Father, that we would desire to continually hear uh, the preaching of thy word for our spiritual good. Father, we pray this evening thou would be with us, forgive us for our sins. We pray thou would give us opportunities this week to stand for thee, to witness for thee, to serve our Savior, meet our needs individually, meet our needs as a congregation, and Father, glorify thy name through us, and we pray for Christ's sake. Amen. Amen. I'm going to turn this evening again in our hymnals uh, to the hymn 248. 248, marvelous grace of our loving Lord, grace that exceeds our sin and our guilt. 248, grace greater than our sin. And we'll stand as we sing these four verses, please.
be seated. Going to turn in the scriptures of truth this evening to John's Gospel, chapter 3. John's Gospel, chapter 3. And we'll commence reading at verse 1. And as uh, we've been considering these words, uh, the man of the Pharisees, that ruler of the Jews, Nicodemus, has come to the Savior, and the Lord Jesus Christ has expounded to him the way of salvation and the need of the new birth, and has emphasized these truths to him. And so we commence again and afresh at the first verse, and the Word of God says, There was a man of the Pharisees named Nicodemus, a ruler of the Jews. The same came to Jesus by night and said unto him, Rabbi, we know that thou art a teacher come from God, for no man can do these miracles that thou doest except God be with him. Jesus answered and said unto him, And verily, verily, I say unto thee, Except a man be born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. Nicodemus saith unto him, How can a man be born when he is old? Can he enter the second time into his mother's womb and be born? And Jesus answered, and Verily, verily, I say unto thee, Except a man be born of water and of the Spirit, he cannot enter into the kingdom of God. That which is born of the flesh is flesh, and that which is born of the Spirit is spirit. Marvel not that I said unto thee, Ye must be born again. The wind bloweth where it listeth, and thou hearest the sound thereof, but canst not tell whence it cometh and whither it goeth. So is every one that is born of the Spirit. Nicodemus answered and said unto him, How can these things be? Jesus answered and said unto him, Art thou a master of Israel, and knowest not these things? Verily, verily, I say unto thee, We speak that we do know, and testify that we have seen, and ye receive not our witness. If I have told you earthly things, and ye believe not, how shall ye believe if I tell you of heavenly things? And no man hath and no man hath ascended up to heaven, but he that came down from heaven, even the Son of Man which is in heaven. And as Moses lifted up the serpent in the wilderness, even so must the Son of Man be lifted up, that whosoever believeth in him should not perish, but have eternal life. For God so loved the world, that he gave his only begotten Son, that whosoever believeth in him should not perish, but have everlasting life. For God sent not his Son into the world to condemn the world, but that the world through him might be saved. He that believeth on him is not condemned, but he that believeth not is condemned already, because he hath not believed in the name of the only begotten Son of God. And this is the condemnation, that light is come into the world, and men love darkness rather than light, because their deeds were evil. For every one that doeth evil hateth the light, neither cometh to the light, lest his deeds should be reproved. 
He that doeth truth cometh to the light, that his deeds may be made manifest, that they are wrought in God. Amen. And may the Lord bless and the reading of his inerrant and infallible word this evening. This point in our service, can we extend a word of welcome uh, to each one, to those who are visiting with us? We welcome you and trust the Lord's blessing upon us. We do welcome those watching uh, by live webcast as well, and uh, we trust and pray that you too, we know the Lord's blessing as we worship and consider his word uh, tonight. Do remember the uh, meetings throughout this week. We have our prayer meeting and Bible study Wednesday evening at 7.30 p.m. on Zoom and in the prayer room downstairs. And then on Saturday, we have our men's prayer breakfast at 8 a.m. And then we have a work party afterwards. Uh, there's work for the men to do. Uh, there's work uh, for the ladies to do as well. And so if you're free, um, I would say probably 9.45, 10 o'clock, thereabouts, uh, those who aren't coming to the breakfast, and maybe around that time, uh, we'll start the work party. Uh, but do remember the breakfast, men, and then the work that needs to be done. There's work inside and outside as well. I'll maybe send an email about that uh, later on uh, this week. Do remember on Saturday the 9th of December at 12 p.m., uh, we have organized uh, a 55-plus Christmas lunch at Newlands Golf and Country Club, and there is a list on the table in the hall, and if you're able to come and to join with us, uh, then put your name on the list. Uh, we need to know uh, the exact numbers. We have a booking for 15, and that booking can be easily changed uh, for more if more are coming, but we need to know if more are coming. And so uh, today, next week, uh, please uh, put your name on that list. And so if there's more than 15, I can get you a table and I can get you a dinner arranged. And so please uh, bear that in mind. We do invite all who are 55 plus uh, to come and uh, to have that lunch with us. Do remember as well, on Friday the 15th of December at 7 p.m., uh, we have our Christmas social here in the church and more details will be given about that at a later time. Uh, the Trinitarian Bible Society uh, have uh, given us the calendars for 2024. Uh, those calendars have arrived, they're on the table, and so do take some, take some for friends and family as well. Uh, they are free, and they're there to be used. There are some left over from this year, uh, 2023, uh, just a few. So it'd be good if we didn't have any left over, because this late in the year, they're not of much use regarding being a calendar. Uh, so do take uh, the new ones and uh, use them, pass them on. Uh, let's uh, give them out, let's use them uh, for uh, the good of the gospel. These are all the announcements. And we're going to uh, turn in our hymnals uh, to the hymn number 34. The hymn 34, there is a name I love to hear. I love to sing its worth. It sounds like music in my ear, the sweetest name on earth. The hymn 34 will remain seated while our tithes and offerings for the Lord's work are received, please.
Our Father in heaven, we thank you for these tithes and offerings. May it be used, dear God, for you, your glory and for your name and for the expansion of your kingdom. We pray now, Lord, for your blessing upon the preaching of your word. Bless our pastor and help him and help us as we listen as well. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, stand to sing hymn 34, and we'll sing we'll sing the remaining verses. There are five of them, and but we'll stand and we'll sing uh, verses two to six, please. Two, three, four, five, and six.
be seated. And we're turning again in the Word of God to John's Gospel, chapter 3. Gospel of John, the third chapter. And we're coming to the end, not tonight, but we're coming to the end shortly of the discourse of the Savior to Nicodemus. And we'll, at the end of that, uh, come back uh, to those various questions and answers in the Shorter Catechism and dealing with some of the truths there uh, for uh, a short time at least. And uh, we'll see where the Lord leads after that. Uh, But John's Gospel, chapter 3, I want to draw your attention uh, to the verse 18. Verse 18. He that believeth on him is not condemned. But he that believeth not is condemned already, because he hath not believed in the name of the only begotten Son of God. And this is the condemnation, that light is come into the world, and men love darkness rather than light, because their deeds were evil. Amen. May the Lord bless the reading of his word. Let us unite together in prayer and ask for the Lord's help and blessing as we consider his truth tonight. Let us pray. Eternal God and our Father in heaven, we rejoice tonight in thy truth. We thank thee that when it comes to matters of our souls, matters concerning salvation and the wrath of God, we thank thee, Father, that uh, we have thy word to guide us and direct us. We thank thee tonight, Father, that uh, we have this particular chapter in which the Savior opens up to Nicodemus uh, the great truths of the gospel of Christ. Not merely the great truths, but those great and important imperatives that come to every man and every woman regarding the gospel of Christ. Ye must be born again. And tonight, Father, we realize that each one here must be born again. The command goes out. If we are to know the forgiveness of sins, if we are to experience peace with thyself, then we must be born again. We must turn from sin, and we must trust in the Lamb of God. And Father, tonight we pray that thou would open our hearts to thy word. If there be those outside of the kingdom of God, we pray, Father, thou would convict them of that sin, work in their hearts that they would believe upon the Lord Jesus Christ as he is seen here in this glorious chapter. Father, apply thy word to our hearts as thy people. And we pray, Father, if there be those who perhaps have made that false profession, those who are living a lie uh, within their lives, we pray that Tonight thou would convict them, and thou would speak to their hearts, and may they make sure of their soul's salvation. We realize that Nicodemus was a religious man, a man who was respected, a man who was learned in the things of the Old Testament scriptures, but he was outside of Christ without a savior and a refuge for his soul. And oh God, how many are like that today, Religion, 
but no Christ. And we pray this evening that each one here would not be like that, religion and no Christ, but they would know Christ. They would know the saving power of the Lord Jesus. And they would know from experience that their sins have been forgiven and they belong to thee. Father, we pray that would bless us. Give us help as we consider thy word together. And we pray for Christ's sake. Amen. Amen. Nicodemus was a man who had a very strong and influential religious background within his life. And that religious experience that he had taught him that he was righteous with God, that all was well with him, but yet in reality, as he came face to face with, with the Savior, he found that he was ignorant of his true position before God. He was an Israelite and a learned man and a ruler of the Jews, but that was not enough. He was dark from the spiritual perspective, and he needed to believe in the Lord Jesus Christ for salvation. And such a comparison exists today within the church of Christ. There are those who can attend a gospel preaching church, who can hear the gospel of salvation, who can hear their need of Christ, who know something of the gospel and can explain the gospel, but yet they can be far from God. People can think that they are acceptable to God because of the heritage that they have or a profession that was made while they were young, and yet there is no evidence of faith but yet they cling to a profession, believing that all is well in life and they can live how they like because they made this profession of faith and they are saved. The Lord's house can be attended out of tradition and ritual, not out of a love for Christ, not because salvation for them was found in Christ alone. And the Savior in this discourse with Nicodemus delves right into the heart of the gospel and delves right, in, delves right into what the gospel is about. And Nicodemus is taught here that any notion he has or any thought of righteousness that comes from who he is is wrong. That idea and that thought is abolished. And salvation is through Christ alone and through the new birth and being regenerated by the Spirit of God. And therefore, there is no salvation outside of Christ, but rather condemnation. And the Savior is emphasizing to Nicodemus the reason and ground why regeneration and faith are so necessary. Because there is no salvation in Him and who He is. And the same is true of you tonight. There is no salvation in you. There is no salvation in who you are. There is no salvation for you whatsoever outside of the Lord Jesus Christ who is the Savior of sinners. No other way to set men free from the curse and the condemnation of the law. And we find in regard to the curse of the law 
That illustration that was drawn from Jewish history of the serpents in verse 14 that bit the people of God and how Moses lifted up the serpent in the wilderness that men may lurk and live. We have the glorious gospel of Christ summarized for us in the text we considered last week. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whosoever believeth in him should not perish but have everlasting life. And so tonight we see there is a gospel. There is salvation. But what happens if that gospel is rejected? What happens to those who do not believe upon Christ? Who reject and neglect the importance of making sure of their own salvation? And we have that in our text this evening. He that believeth on him is not condemned. He that believeth not is condemned already because he hath not believed in the name of the only begotten Son of God. They're condemned. Tonight, if you're in your sins and you have ignored and neglected Christ's salvation, the Word of God and the Savior himself condemns you. Condemnation is the act of declaring something awful or evil. If somebody did something to you, you would express your condemnation. If you had a car and it was old and it wasn't running too well, it was rusted and it was falling apart and it wasn't safe to drive, what would you do? You'd turn around and condemn it. It's not worth anything anymore. It's useless. It's fit for the scrap heap and you condemn it to being destroyed or being recycled or whatever they do uh, to old cars here in this part of the world. It's condemned. Maybe they still drive old, old cars. Uh, but it's condemned. It's useless and worthless. And condemnation comes from that verb condemn, which means to strongly disapprove. It's used in law. It's the same thing as sentencing or making a judgment. And here we have in view this idea of a judgment. Some versions of the Bible would translate this word as judgment rather than condemned. And we like the word condemned that is here in the version that we use this evening. But some have translated it judge. And the Greek word, the original Greek word for condemned is a word that is used in the authorized version and translated as judgment in other places as well. It would be the root word that is used. And so those who believe not are condemned because they have not believed on the Lord Jesus Christ. And our text this evening does something rather interesting. It sets society into two categories. Those who are condemned already and those who are not condemned. In other words, those who are saved and those who are lost. When we think of the Titanic disaster uh, that happened in 1912, when news of that sinking reached the various places, New York and their Liverpool, Southampton, where the ship was associated with and sailed from. And the news came that there had been this terrible maritime disaster. 
and the Titanic had sunk, and there was a tremendous loss of life. Some of those newspapers, they drew up signs or boards outside, and when they heard of someone who had died, or someone who had been saved, the name was put up. Certainly the famous people were put up. They were saved, or they were lost. You see, with that disaster, there was no in-between. You either died or you were saved. There was no sort of idea where you were swimming about unconscious to be picked up later on. We know that's illogical. You either died, you either drowned or froze to death, or you were saved. It was one or the other. Saved or lost. And that is what our text is teaching tonight. It is one or the other. Those that believe in Christ are saved. Those who believe on him are not condemned. But what about those who reject? Well, they are condemned. You're either condemned or not condemned. You're either saved or lost. And we see this throughout the gospel of Christ. This is what the Bible teaches. You are either saved or or you are lost. Now mankind does not like that thinking. Mankind disagrees with the thought that there are those who are lost and those who will be lost for all eternity. And therefore you get individuals who twist the gospel and change the gospel and say, well, this doesn't really mean what God says it means. They're smarter than God. They know more than God. They can change the scriptures and apply it to their generation far better than God can in their sinful and wicked minds. And so they come and they say, well, everyone will be saved. And we don't need to worry about those who don't believe or those who do believe. There's universal salvation for everyone. Christ has done that. And it doesn't matter whether you believe in him or not. And that's what man says and man's authority is that what you're trusting in tonight, the authority of man? What does God say? What does the Savior say? The one who purchased that redemption. He said to Nicodemus, He that believeth on him is not condemned, but he that believeth not is condemned already, because he hath not believed in the name of the only begotten Son of God. Christ is saying, Save the lost, condemned or not condemned. It's one or the other. The two great categories of mankind. And tonight, what category do you find yourself in? Are you condemned? And condemned already? Or are you not condemned because of the Savior and your trust and your faith in Him? And so tonight, I want us to consider quite simply condemnation. Condemnation. And we find unbelief, firstly. Unbelief is the reason for condemnation. Unbelief, the reason for condemnation. And what is said in verse 18 indicates that those who do not believe in the name of the only begotten Son of God, those who do not believe in Christ and in his so great salvation and in him being the Savior, they will perish. They are condemned. We see that in verse 16. That whosoever believeth in him should not perish, but have everlasting life. And we change that. Whosoever does not believe in him shall perish and not have everlasting life. And so unbelief is the reason for condemnation. 
And the foundation of condemnation, this sentence of judgment upon mankind, is for sin and the result of man's sin. Man was created to glorify God. But after the fall, man sins against God. Man flees from God. Man has no time for God. Romans 5.18 tells us, Therefore, as by the offense of one judgment came upon all men to condemnation, even so by the righteousness of one the free gift came upon all men unto justification of life. The offense of one judgment came upon all men to condemnation. Our original sin, the sin of Adam that has been passed to us. Therefore, you may be a good person and think you are doing good things in life, but that original sin of Adam is still there. It's affected you and it's affected all your faculties. All have sinned, the Word of God says, and have come short of the glory of God. And therefore, because of that sin... You're condemned. Because of unbelief, you're condemned. And the specific sin mentioned here is that sin of unbelief. There is a twofold aspect of this. One of the Puritans spoke about those who have never heard the gospel having a negative unbelief. The heathen, they've never heard the gospel. And then he spoke about a positive unbelief in the sense of those who sin. By sitting under the gospel, hearing the gospel, and knowing the gospel, and hearing Christ preached. But they never believe. They never trust. There's a knowing unbelief within their heart. And this unbelief is the neglecting to take Christ as he is freely offered in the gospel. Believing in him and trusting him as your savior. And the way of salvation is in no doubt in these verses. The Savior has made that clear that salvation is through him, through him alone, the one who was lifted up, and therefore those who do not believe will perish. They will perish. Those who are unbelievers are condemned. Tonight, what category do you fit into? Are you those who believe and who rejoice and have a faith in Christ? Those who love the Savior? Or are you included in that category that has neglected Christ and rejected the Savior? And you may, have a, you may have feelings that are not negative, feelings perhaps that are not like what we considered in the adult Bible class, the adult Sunday school this morning, those who persecuted the church of Christ. You may be far removed from being one who hates the church and one who hates the Savior but yet by neglecting salvation and by neglecting Christ, you are still condemned. You do not have to be a modern-day Emperor Nero to be condemned. You can be someone who works helping others, someone who is involved in a good profession in society, who lives a somewhat moral life in society, respectable, but yet because you don't believe in Christ, what does the Savior say? You're condemned already because of unbelief, because of unbelief. And unbelief, what does unbelief do? Unbelief excludes a man from the pardon of sin. In John 8, verse 24, the Savior says, I said therefore unto you that ye shall die in your sins, 
For if ye believe not that I am he, ye shall die in your sins. And the Savior is making it clear. If you do not believe in me, and you do not believe that I'm the Savior, and you do not believe that I'm the one who can cleanse from sin, you'll die in your sins. You'll die and be condemned if ye believe not. And what a warning that is from the Savior. What a warning that is for you tonight. If you're in your sin and you do not believe upon Christ, the Savior says you will die in your sin. There's no pardon. There's no peace. There's no satisfaction from God to justify you and to deliver you from your sin if you do not believe upon the Lord Jesus Christ. Oh, how serious this is. And our text this evening is a serious text. It's not something for us to just set aside or ignore. This is God warning, warning you through the gospel of his son that those who do not believe are condemned and those who believe are not condemned. Unbelief, what does it do? It excludes a man from the pardon of sin. There's no way of salvation if you do not believe upon Christ. We could go through list after list of things you can achieve in life. And none of it can save. None of it can pardon. Because the Savior said, If ye believe not that I am he, ye shall die in your sins. Unbelief here as well excludes a man from all the saving benefits of Christ. Everything that Christ does for the sinner. Saving him and cleansing his heart and washing him in his precious blood and sanctifying them and being their helper and their comfort and the friend that sticketh closer than any brother, adopting that sinner into the family of God. All these benefits, the benefit of eternal life, all these things the sinner is excluded from because of unbelief. And instead they continue in that state of death and condemnation. Why? Because unbelief can never save and never deliver. If an unbeliever is then to be saved, they must find a way of salvation outside of Christ. And that is impossible. That is impossible. Unbelief excludes a man from the saving efficacy of the gospel and from union with Christ. The gospel saves, and it truly saves, and it truly redeems, and truly cleanses us from every sin. And unbelief excludes a man from the power of the gospel and from being united to Christ. There is nothing for him because of his unbelief. Unbelief is a sin which dishonors God. In 1 John 5, verse 10, the Savior said, He that believeth on the Son, or John said, He that believeth on the Son of God hath the witness in himself. He that believeth not God hath made him a liar, because he believeth not the record that God gave of his Son. So in other words, there's the gospel, the gospel of the Savior, by which you can be saved if you repent and believe upon him. But in rejecting that and not believing that, you're showing that in your heart you believe that God is not telling the truth here, that God has lied. He that believeth not God, the word says, hath made him a liar, a liar. If I were to turn around to you tonight and say, that man is a liar, I'm trying not to point at anyone in particular, 
But if I pointed at you and I said, you're a liar, and this is why you're a liar, and you've lied about this matter and that matter, and publicly, I declare you to be a liar. How terrible that would be for you, especially if it wasn't true. If everything was made up, you're sitting there being accused of being a liar and being deceitful and telling lies, and none of it is true. But here the word says that those that don't believe are doing that very thing to God. He who is not a liar, he who could never lie, could never tell an untruth, could never deceive, is being called a liar by those who don't believe. Because within their heart they're saying, I don't believe this. I don't believe God can truly save. I'm not going to turn to him and believe upon him because I don't think it's true. And therefore, what are they doing? What are you doing in your unbelief? God's lying. It's a sin that dishonors God because it calls God a liar. Christ and the preaching of Christ is the wisdom and power of God, but what does unbelief do? It pours contempt upon that. It disvalues that message, that glorious message. It tramples over Christ and his blood and the work of Christ because you're saying, I don't believe this at all. You're rejecting the truth of God. Unbelief is spiritual blindness. Isaiah said, who hath believed our report? The sad complaint of the prophet in saying, who has believed? Nobody has believed. Very few have believed. And how true that is today. There are many in the steed of condemnation. They are blinded by sin. Blinded by unbelief. And is that you tonight? Blinded by sin. Blinded by unbelief. Blinded by the devil. There are things in life that are more exciting to you. More important to you. Than making sure that you are not condemned in the sight of God. Notice here secondly. Not only do we have unbelief, the reason for condemnation, but we have damnation, the result of condemnation. And condemnation is that sentence of God. Those who have not believed are condemned. And what are they condemned to? They're condemned to damnation, to the wrath of God. Who shall escape if they neglect so great salvation? The wages of sin is death. He that believeth on him is not condemned. And so therefore, the believer does not face damnation. He does not face the wrath of God. But rather, he enjoys the presence of God. He enjoys his everlasting reward. He has peace and satisfaction. But those who are in their sin, those who are condemned, face the wrath of God. They face damnation for all eternity because they have not believed in the name of the Son of God. I want you to turn to Daniel chapter 5. The sentence of condemnation was upon the unbeliever. It was upon here King Belshazzar. And what happened? There was a great feast. The name of God was blasphemed. And in the middle of this feast, some believe it to be an immoral feast, there was sin going on and a rejection of God. And the king 
sore finger, a hand and a finger right upon the wall. And what did it write? It wrote words that said, Mene, Mene, Tekel, Euphorson, verse 25. And what did these words mean? They did not know. And they called for all the wise men, and Daniel, the man of God, came and gave the interpretation. Verse 26, God hath numbered thy kingdom and finished it. Thou art weighed in the balances and art found wanting. Thy kingdom is divided and given to the Medes and Persians. The condemnation, the sentence had been declared by God. God who was in control. God who was the great judge. God hath numbered thy kingdom and finished it. This man was a great king, Belshazzar. A great kingdom in the ancient world. But who was greater? God. And God said that his kingdom had been numbered and it had been finished. Its days were numbered and our days are numbered. We think of the sentence of God upon the sinner. It's a sentence with a number. It's a sentence that will one day be served because one day we will die and face that judgment and face that sentence. And we cannot prevent that. And this king could not change or prevent God numbering his kingdom and finishing it. Thou art weighed in the balances and art found wanting in light of the law of God. He was weighed. Weighed in the scales and found wanting. And the only way those scales can be balanced for you and I is by removing us from those scales and placing Christ our Savior in our place. Because if we stand ourselves without believing upon Christ, the scales of God's judgment will crash down upon us. And then thy kingdom is divided and given to the Medes and Persians. It is believed that as they were hearing this sentence, as they were partying, the enemy had found a way into the city. They had dammed the river. They had freed up that riverbed going into the city. And they had created a path to go right into the city. So history and historians record those events. My kingdom is divided. He was powerless compared to the God of heaven. Powerless regarding the sentence that God had passed upon him. And what is the Savior saying then in John 3? There's a sentence, a sentence of condemnation. And as we see in verse 16, it's a sentence of damnation because those that believe not in Christ will perish. Notice well, the unbeliever is condemned already. Verse 18. He that believeth not is condemned already. The unbeliever is lost. And that is the category they find themselves in. They're not, as we looked at the Titanic, in some sort of limbo, waiting and seeing whether they will be saved or lost. The automatic default position is they are in their sin and they are condemned under the law of God. They've trespassed against him. They have that moral disease of sin. They are lost. And we are all lost. And we are all in that category. Except for the Lord Jesus Christ. Who has saved and delivered us. 
So tonight you are not somewhere in between. You are either saved, a believer, or you are lost. You are lost. And if you die in your sin, you are not somewhere in between that God will have mercy upon you. You are lost. If you die in Christ, you are saved. But if you die in your sin, you are condemned. And condemned already. The Savior said in John 12, He that rejecteth me and receiveth not my words hath one that judgeth him. The word that I have spoken, the same shall judge him. In the last day there is judgment. John Flavel, preaching on this text, the old Puritan said, and he made a statement of doctrine, his great theme, what he was trying to teach in this sermon. And he said that all unbelievers are presently and immediately under the just and dreadful sentence of God's condemnation. And that word condemned is what is referred to as a forensic word. It's got nothing to do with CSI. But it's a forensic term regarding courts and the law of justice, a legal term. It applies here to the case of a guilty sinner before the Lord. There is something that is clearly proven. That they are a sinner and God knows that. And the Lord can prove such things. Be sure your sin will find you out. And what is this sentence? It's one of eternal death. And how terrible that is. Unbeliever, the word of God says you live under condemnation tonight. You live under the cloud of that sentence. The sentence of a just and holy judge. And what a dreadful word it is that reminds you, condemned, reminds you of the eternal wrath of God against your sin. But despite that, oh, how men feast and party and enjoy themselves in this world. They don't realize they're condemned. They don't want to think about it or acknowledge it. They are blind to it. Well, that you would see tonight that you're condemned, that you're facing damnation. But yet notice here, thirdly, belief. Belief, the realization of condemnation. The realization of condemnation. Nicodemus was taught the gospel of Christ. He was taught about the importance of believing. He that believeth on him is not condemned. And those that believe realize they are condemned. They realize there is nothing they can do. They realize salvation is not in themselves, but it is in Christ. And so they believe. Nicodemus did not understand the new birth. He did not understand why Christ came into this world. But the Savior instructs him and points him to the right way. That he would believe upon him. And dear sinner tonight, those who are unbelievers, those who are condemned. We're saying these things this evening to warn you and to make you realize that you need to believe in Christ. That you need to trust in Christ. That you need to rest in Christ. The gospel is a glorious gospel. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whosoever believeth in him should not perish but have everlasting life. Oh, that you would trust in Christ tonight. That you would realize you're condemned. There's nothing you can do but Christ who has done everything. Who has saved you. Christ came into this world incarnated. 
in the flesh. The whole purpose and design of his coming was to save sinners, to save his people from their sins, that those who were condemned already would not be condemned. Oh, that you would believe the complete opposite to what we're saying. And then finally, I want you to see salvation, the rescue from condemnation, the rescue from condemnation. The Lord Jesus Christ came to save. He came to deliver. In Romans 8, verse 1, the apostle says, There is therefore now no condemnation in them which are in Christ Jesus who walk not after the flesh, but after the Spirit. No condemnation. The sentence is gone. Christ is the Savior. Christ is the one in whom they trust. No condemnation to them that are in Christ. And tonight, where is your anchor? Who is your Savior? Who is the great anchor of your soul? Is it the Lord Jesus Christ? Because if you know him and you're saved, and dear believer tonight, if you're saved and you know Christ and you're resting upon him, you know the truth of what Paul's saying. There's no condemnation, no sentence upon you because Christ delivered you. Christ delivered you. Notice the importance of this verse of Paul. There is, now, there is therefore now no condemnation to them which are in Christ Jesus who walk not after the flesh but after the Spirit. There's a change in the life. They're, these individuals are not merely saying, I'm a Christian. They're living that out. They're showing by the working of Christ within their lives that they are saved. Dear believer, are you doing that tonight? Are you doing that in this congregation? Are you doing that within society and where you live? That that great change that Christ has made, that you face no condemnation, is seen within your life. You walk not after the flesh, but after the Spirit. John Flavel said that faith purifies the heart of the believer, but the hearts of unbelievers are full of impurity. Is your heart purified because it's been redeemed? It's been washed in the precious blood of Christ? I want to share three verses with you. Our time is moving on. We'll share three verses and then we'll close. But in John 8 verse 31... It says, Then said Jesus to those Jews which believed on him, If ye continue in my word, then are ye my disciples indeed. How do we know you're saved? What is the evidence in life that you know Christ, that you are his disciple? If you continue in his word. If you're truly saved and you're not condemned, you'll continue in his word. John 13, 35, By this shall all men know that you are my disciples if you love one another, John 13, 35, if ye have love one to another, love, being in the word. And finally, John 15, verse 8, herein is my Father glorified that ye bear much fruit, so shall ye be my disciples. So there's the word of God. There's love. There's fruit. Seen within your life that shows that that sentence, that condemnation is gone. You've been rescued from it because of Christ and because of his working. What evidence of that is within your life, dear believer? Are you desirous to show to the world that that sentence of condemnation has been lifted? It's not merely saying, I'm saved, and that sentence is off me, but it's living it through the word of God and continuing in that and loving one another and bearing fruit. And dear believer, tonight as we close,
What a great cause we have to rejoice. We've spoken mainly to the unconverted tonight, but we have a great cause to rejoice, to admire and praise our Savior because we have a confidence that is well grounded in Him. He has said, if you believe, you're not condemned. And we can believe that, can we not? We can rest upon that. Our spiritual lives are built upon that truth and we can have that confidence that we're freed from condemnation because of our Savior. And it's a marvelous deliverance from the sting of death. And therefore, let us who are delivered, let us who are not condemned, let us use our lives wisely for the Savior, serving him. Let us not be afraid of death, for we shall see him face to face. The Christ who died for us. It's a life-changing truth. The new birth and the consequences of the new birth. And Nicodemus is coming face to face with these great truths. Let us refresh our hearts in them. Let us rejoice that we are not condemned. Let us always be thankful and in praise to our glorious Savior. For he is the one who died for us. May the Lord bless his word tonight for his name's sake. Amen. And let us pray. Our eternal God and Father in heaven, we thank thee for thy word tonight. We pray thou would apply it to our hearts. We rejoice, O God, in the great truth that we are not condemned. And that we who are saved and we who believe know that we are not condemned. O Lord, we realize tonight that thou art not a liar, that thy word is true. And we rejoice in those tonight who have believed that word and who have cried out that we believe that the word of God is true and we will obey the word and we will believe. But Father, we think of those who have not believed, who have not trusted thee. Oh, that they would turn and look unto thee for faith and salvation. That they would not be condemned, but they would be delivered from their sin. Father, give us a desire to, as a church, to reach out continually with the glorious message of Christ to the saving of precious souls. Father, we pray that thou would part us with thy blessing tonight. May the love of God, our Father, the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, the fellowship and communion of God, the Holy Spirit, be with us all. Amen.